Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I am Todd Hagopian. And we have a libertarian superstar in our midst today. Ricky Harrington, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I ran for the United States Senate this past election cycle. It was a head-to-head race between uh, Senator Cotton and myself. There was no Democrat. And the independent candidate... Um, was not able to get ballot access. So it was a interesting campaign. And it was it was not, it ended up being something I could never imagine. <laughs> and I can't wait to talk about that. We're gonna dive deep into that campaign because I know a lot of people around the country were watching it, um, but not a lot of people were inside of it. So it's gonna be great to hear you kind of give that insider view but before we get there, kind of walk us through, not everyone's born a libertarian, uh, walk us through how you became a libertarian. Where did you start? How did that transformation look? And then what got you to the point where you actually were crazy enough to decide to run for <coughs> Well, um, I've always had a anti-war, anti-authoritarian streak in me, well, as far as I can remember. Yeah. And, um, you know, I... In 2004 was the first time I voted. And I voted for John Kerry because I just like anybody in America, you know, we become what was taught to us. And so um, my dad was heavily involved in the Democratic Party. And uh, we talked about politics all the time. And so he shaped my my thinking on politics. But I we always drew a line even way, way back then on just government overreach. And so, um, you know, as years passed by, um, I started to see our government uh, doing things that uh, particularly were not delegated to it through the Constitution. And especially this um, continuous warmongering that we've been doing and uh, this um, I've heard it described as a, the self-licking ice cream cone when it comes to the military-industrial complex. And um, that was further deepened uh, during the Obama administration. And in 2014, we really saw uh, something that was very strange, especially with the, the proxy war that was fought in Ukraine uh, between you know, NATO and, and, and Russia. And whenever the Russians annexed Crimea, which is their only way to get into the Mediterranean Sea and then into the Atlantic Sea um, through that route. And there were some Americans that cheered on uh, Putin for the move that he made. And uh, if you just think at it, that's just a, just a move to make when it comes to geopolitics, if you govern in that manner. And um, just to see other Americans cheer on a foreign leader in spite of the leader that you have in your country, it signaled to me uh, just a, a dangerous path we were walking on. And so the two parties, uh, the way that they're gridlocked in one another 
And it's almost like some type of toxic custody battle in the American people or the children. And um, it really hit me hard while I was in China. I'm, I'm out of the country. I'm detached from what's going on in America. And I'm looking at it from afar. I'm looking at it um, as somebody would look at a, at a movie, so to speak. And you, you take a look at the characters and you evaluate them on their merits or faults, uh, not on just who you like. And there was a friend of mine that put me on to uh, Gary Johnson and I started researching him. And that's when I just took the plunge. Uh, I'm done with the two parties. We have to find a way to save our country. And I believe that the Libertarian Party and the principles that it has will be a crucial element in the governance of this country because we are anti-authoritarian. We want to try to minimize government overreach. And this may be just my, my lens of libertarianism for myself. Um, but I, I always try to, you know, let's find the common ground. And once we learn how to work on the things we agree on, we will have built the skills to work on the things which we disagree. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I know uh, you and I actually met um, at the 2019 Arkansas Nominating Convention. Um, and I think you were relatively new with the Arkansas party at that time. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And, um, and I thought it was really interesting because some people threw some knives at you while we were doing the Arkansas Convention and you, you had some good answers. You had a good personal story. Can you talk a little bit about um, talk a little bit about where you were working and how that interacted with your run? Because I thought this was really interesting with you being in the prison system. Well, it it really wasn't a problem uh, once I informed my uh, superiors, uh, you know, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> And there were certain lines that uh, couldn't be crossed. Like I couldn't campaign on uh, state property and things like that. And I couldn't campaign while at work and uh, try to curry favor. So there was, there was those uh, limitations that I had to abide by. And if you, if you can't abide by some of the simple things, you can't really abide by uh, you know, the big things whenever you come to uh, the situation where well, there's a chance for corruption right here. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand upright or am I going to uh, succumb to uh, the baser instincts that we have as human beings? But when it comes to the, the, the relationship with the Arkansas party, I appreciate everything that they've done, knives included, because um, you know it's, that, it's the difficulty that we go through and we learn how to navigate that difficulty and that brings growth. That's right. And so That's right. And, there's there's and a I big that, growth. Yeah. And I think, um, so first of all, you impressed me when that was all happening. And that was when you were young with the party. And 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 then we they all still voted. I didn't have a vote that day. Everyone voted for you and, and you became the Senate candidate. That was long before uh, we knew how exciting this race was going to be. Um, but what impressed me the most that day I believe is that at that moment you were still concerned about just losing your job just for running. 
Yes. Um, but you stood up there and did it anyway. And that was that that hit me pretty hard because I am very vocal libertarian and always had pretty high level jobs and was always worried about that. Um, but never went out on a limb like you were to the point where you literally could have lost your job because of the type of job you had. So I just want to tell you that 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 motivated me quite a bit. I think that won over the party um, and really got you some fans before everything got real interesting. So thank you, you know, for that. Um, talk a little bit about how this race started when you first became a candidate versus and then how it kind of evolved. <laughs> well, one of the, the big issues that um, all, 30 par uh, all third party candidates have to deal with is exposure and name recognition. Um, it seems because because I'm a clergyman and uh, I subscribe to the teachings of Jesus, it's a, it's a weird line to walk between self-promotion that is rampant in our politics and making ourselves a lot bigger than we are. Um, that was, uh, that's a difficulty, uh, you know, you face in politics. Uh, but the race started off, you know, I made an announcement and, and luckily, you know, some media outlets invited me on, uh, there's a Capitol View. It airs on Sunday in Arkansas and it's strictly about politics. And so um, Jay Burr had me on the show. Um, it was kind of puttered with the, with the media exposure. And there were a lot of people that just didn't know who I was. And it was perplexing to me because, you know, if you just do a Google search on who's running for Senate or who's running for things in my, um, the area that I can vote for, you know, that solves that problem easily. Right. <laughs> and um, I, I, I don't really like some of the apps. You know, it seems convenient for a candidate to kind of go on that app and fill out the questions and then people can just go to that app and, and see where the candidate stand, uh, stands real quickly. I think it kind of cheapens the process of, of this representative government because we should have a personal relationship with our legislators, with our government. It doesn't have to be deeply intimate, but some form of human relationship. And so that was a struggle, uh, kind of puttering to begin with. And really what, what drove the campaign was whenever the Democratic candidate got blackmailed off, off the, the ballot, whenever he withdrew two hours after the defiling period had closed for uh, an unknown family illness. And uh, I hope that whatever was going on, uh, it is rectified. And I hope it wasn't anything too serious for his family. But uh, Tom Cotton is, is a, how can I put this? He is highly intelligent. Definitely to do something like that and get your Democratic candidate off the ballot, essentially, without having to deal with him in the manner that politicians should have to deal with one another, which is a duel of the minds. And that's one thing I hold against right. Tom Cotton is he denied me my right of combat, he denied me my right to do what politicians do, which is to stand up, present your ideas, debate, because that is exactly what they do 
in the, in the chambers of Congress is to debate on how these laws are going to affect our constituents. And so every time he opened his mouth about something like saying slavery was necessary evil proxy or, you know, uh, calling for um, no quarter for those that were protesting that kind of, you know, drew more attention to this race, but because there was an independent candidate in the race and people just are turned off by libertarians and there's a, um, it's a disingenuous characterization of what libertarianism is. Um, it's really, I, I know all of you guys know how bad it is. Um, all you guys just care about yourself. You don't care about anybody else. You just get yours and then it's over with. And we have to work on trying to deal with that um, yeah. stereotype. <clears throat> and you mentioned uh, that he would not debate you and you had a pretty awesome response to that. You want to talk about what you did and how that was covered? Well, you know, as I said before, it took a lot of integrity on Arkansas PBS's part to continue to have that debate regardless of uh, a sitting senator's uh, desire to not participate. And um, it was, it blew by, it, it felt like 20 minutes. It didn't feel uh, like an hour and, and, and uh, an hour long um, panel of questions from journalists. And, uh, you know, as I said, during the debate, I was, I had to prepare myself for me just speaking to the the journalist, and I had to prepare myself for if I was going to debate Tom Cotton there. And so right. up until that last moment, I was prepared for both of them. That's pretty awesome. And, and so essentially, <clears throat> for people who don't know the story, essentially you went on and had a televised debate with nobody and just answered questions for an hour and, uh, and got pretty good press out of it. Um, not just in the Libertarian Party where we were all cheering you on because we thought it was really awesome, but inside of Arkansas. Yes, absolutely. That was, um, that was one of the breakout moments for the campaign a little too late but uh, yeah. you know, if we if we had the the independent candidate was going through something that we went through to get on the ballot, um, he sued in federal court. We had the same judge. Um, he did not get all the required signatures, and of course, you know, we we oppose a lot of the the restrictions for getting on the ballot. But on on the face value of it, the gentleman did not uh, get the signatures required of him. And so when you think about it in, from a judicial standpoint, whenever you would make an exception like that, well, what other type of exceptions can you make if someone doesn't get to that 10,000? And I don't think he saw it from that perspective. And hopefully you would want something that is involved in government to understand the, the inner workings and have that type of foresight. And so he, um, that, that type of uh, struggle right there and him being an independent was kind of siphoning uh, some of the, the energy and oxygen that could have been going to uh, this campaign 
And I think so. Basically, he was kind of running parallel while that was all going on. How long did that go on before it was finally dead? Well, at the end of June, the uh, Judge Baker had said she denied his uh, petition for uh, relief. And so then they took it to the next step to the Eighth Circuit, which um, if the lower courts denied your petition for relief, uh, it's not going to look favorably, especially in that Eighth Circuit, to overturn something uh, like that, especially with a, a judge like Judge Baker, who uh, you know ruled in favor for the Libertarian Party. Um, so we were able to get ballot access. And so the, the news media there were kind of, they were tangled up in that drama of what was going on in his campaign rather than yeah. just informing the people, hey, there's somebody else running. Take a look at him right. and see if uh, you know you like him or not. Now, was that gentleman uh, running from the left or the right? Was he a basically stand-in Democrat? He was a... a independent progressive. Okay, okay. So, uh, so in, in favor of Medicare for all and, and things like that, which, um, you know, yeah, unpopular. Not an important group, <coughs> important group that you needed. If you were gonna beat Tom Cotton, you, you had, uh, in order to beat Tom Cotton, you were gonna need every Democrat and then a handful of Republicans in order to pull that off, so. Yes, there were about 26,000 people that undervoted in uh, yeah. that race there. And yeah. we just have to, you know, as libertarians work toward making people feel safe with, with who we are. Yeah. You know, they kind of think we, we fringe people. And, and I don't want to play into that stereotype too much because I know there are a lot of great thinkers, great human beings uh, that are associated with our party. And, um, we just have to work at presenting ourselves and presenting our ideals on a level where where people can digest them yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and find some commonality. Yeah, and it's really interesting in, in your race and the race I ran um, where we had no Democrat and we were up against a Republican. Um, what I found was the Democrats would often come at me at the very beginning with, oh my God, you're a libertarian. That's even worse than a Republican. <laughs> That's what I would hear most often. <laughs> and then uh, and then, through talking to them, you know what I mean? They would quickly realize that maybe six out of 10 issues, we were pretty close to them on the other four. We were way the hell far away from them. You know what I mean? But but at least, you know, we were, we were much closer than Republicans. We weren't the devils that they thought we were, you know, um, when wow. that conversation started but I don't know how many Democrats told me that and that was the very first thing out of your mouth was you're even worse than a Republican honestly when I was running <laughs> so. that's a big issue that we as libertarians have though our messaging for whatever reason we haven't really you know put it out there towards the progressives and the more left-leaning people so we get kind of demonized by that side because we're not doing a proper job of messaging in between elections and during elections to the left and to the progressives more. So they think of us as like, like Ricky said earlier, you know, it's 
all about us and we're going to get ours and then, you know, you can do your own thing and whatever. But if we would kind of change our messaging, I believe if we would change our messaging a little bit and say like, hey, we're actually more progressive than the Democrats. We, when it comes to social issues, we supported gay marriage 40 years before the Democrats did. You know, we do fight for these trans rights. We do fight for racial rights. We do all these things, but for whatever reason, we haven't done a good job of messaging to the left. And so that that's pretty understandable in my opinion. Well, and I think, I think one of the big things that I always hit on and, and Kevin probably gets sick of this. I don't know, Ricky, I, I may have talked about it in Arkansas, but, um, but just branding is in general is terrible in the libertarian party. You can, you know, when you think of a Democrat, you know what they stand for. They stand for the little guy. They stand for, you know, um, Medicare for all. They stand for social security. Even if they don't stand for all these things, people can rattle off what a Democrat is, what a Republican is, you know, they're for small government, they're for tax breaks, they're for, you know, free markets. Even if they don't stand for any of that, people can rattle off what they think a Republican is. When you ask them what a libertarian is, people have no idea what a libertarian is. Nobody has any idea. The left thinks they're too right. The right thinks they're too left. Um, it's a big branding issue in our party that people can't rattle off what a libertarian is. And that's something that we need to fix. What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is what I think. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take us actually going out and, you know, between those election cycles, getting in your communities, finding out what the people in your community need and showing that what you want can be accomplished without waiting on the government to do it for us. If you think uh, healthcare is a human right, yeah, I agree with you. Go out there, get some doctors that agree with you get some people that are willing to pay a retainer fee to that doctor and make sure that everyone in your community, no matter their uh, income basis, can go and receive the care that they need. If you believe that way, go and do it. Don't wait on the government. You can do it. Um, if you believe, um, you know, housing is a human right, go out there and uh, do it yourself. Raise the money up. You know, we can do it. We spent $14 billion on these past elections. I mean, really, does it mean that much? I mean, it really does, but does it mean that much to spend in the middle of a pandemic where people don't have jobs, where, where money and resources are scarce? There was $14 billion that was still poured into the political machine. And we can't fix these societal issues by volunteering and working together. Yeah. And, and you and I were talking offline is that one of the biggest issues that the party does have is these off-year collapses in both membership and finances. Um, and so I'll get all these numbers wrong, but the Libertarian Party ballooned to 18 or 19,000 dues <laughs> members in 16. We fell all the way to 13,000 um, by, I think, the late 18. Uh, and that crushes your revenue source. You know what I mean? You've got 33% you've got less dues paying members. 
and then and then we had to claw our way back and we did really well and got back up to where we were before and even a little above but the point is is if if we can do better work in between elections and not collapse the membership and then we have that big uptick during the presidential campaign that you always get then you get the kind of growth that we saw between 2008 and 2016 you know you get better growth over time and so we really do need to focus on that. What are some things that you guys are going to try and be doing in Arkansas to keep our momentum going? Well, um, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. I am trying to work with different groups uh, to build a coalition of governments, especially after what happened last week. I think uh, it was... If anybody was paying attention, that was the fruit, that the tree finally bared the fruit of, of this game that has been played by the two major parties, uh, these, these almost two, well, for a long time. But it got really heavy the past 10 years on how you know, vile it became in our politics. And what, what we are going to have to do to kind of fix this branding, you know, as I said before, is we got to find a way to deal with felt needs and, and communicate with people these ideas that we have in a manner that is not going to, you know, draw up the defense, uh, so to speak. It's kind of like uh, I used to sell cars, okay? And I, I, I hated doing it because everybody hates car salesmen. And when someone would come on the car lot, they already had their defenses up because they knew that if they talked to you, they were going to buy something today. And so you have to find a way to surmount that, that defense mechanism there. And <laughs> I hate to put it in terms of being a car salesman, it's so bad. But, um, you know, the principle there is trying to deal with people's defensive mechanisms and, and offer, you know, an olive branch or offer a, a means of communication that, that brings down those defenses. Because, you know, nobody shows up on that car lot unless they're interested in buying a car. That's the obvious thing. And, um, you know, for me, and I hope I'm still staying on topic, um, traveling to all different parts of the world and having to learn different languages, you see the world from a different perspective and you kind of take on some of the, the, the different philosophy that uh, the countries may have and definitely understanding language. You have to learn the skill of getting to the nitty gritty of communication. And there's a, for, for us, I think they call us a, a high context or low context. I can't remember which one of it is. Uh, communication style. We we speak to one another directly, but in how we say it, it changes the whole meaning. And uh, you know, this is kind of some things that we have to do. It's still the same point of we want to um, take away some of the, the, you know, that string that the government holds over people through welfare. Those um, safety net programs are important, but what we would hope for 
is that there is a, a safety net that the people have for, for the people, not the government taking the money and then uh, setting up these programs. I, I, I want to say, yes, they are beneficial. And, uh, you know, my life was saved through the program there. But the goal is down the road to get there, uh, just not right at the very beginning. And that's kind of turns people off whenever we present those ideas in such a, you know, kind of in your face uh, uh, way of communicating. Yeah. And so you were mentioning something about a co coalition. Mm. Yes. Um, there's a lot of organizations there in Arkansas that I want to work with and I want to partner with. And I believe um, this is a way for, you know, a libertarian with, with not as many resources as major party candidates in the establishment. You know, you can be a terrible candidate and have that R or D by your name. And it's, um, it's the gold standard for, you know, the American voter. And so what we have to do is, you know, as I said before, go out into the communities with these organizations and, and see what they need and, and maybe show them that, uh, you know, your needs can be dealt with right here. So organizations that, you know, my, my old, two older children are autistic. And so, you know, working with some of the organizations, like we, we do not have enough people to provide services to families that are in need. And what we need is to remove some of the red tape. If the state could come, come streamline a uh, program for people to, to get the knowledge pass the test without, you know, having to get a bachelor's degree, then a master's degree and go into debt to provide this need. And this, this waiting list is extremely long. And as time progresses, it makes it difficult for the family and for the child to, to be able to, to function in society. Um, and this, you know, occupational licensing and, and working with, um, you know, some other organizations, uh, the, the Poor People's Campaign, we, we have to stop being so adversarial one another. And I think this is the way um, not to, you know, no pun intended, for, for the party to actually grow and then show that we, we are that big tent. Um, it's just that one main guiding principle that we have. If we can do it, we don't need the government to do it. Yep, no, that's great. Well, Ricky, what is next for you uh, in Arkansas? Are you gonna run again? What are you thinking? What, where are you going in this party? Yes, I'd like to, to run again in Arkansas. Um, there's a few um, type of seats that I'm looking, looking at running. Uh, I won a couple of counties. In, in Arkansas, um, whenever I first saw uh, gold on that map, uh, I was just kind of, you know, just in silence there. I just couldn't say anything. Um, you know, everybody in the watch party was excited to see something like that. And it has never happened before in Arkansas. Sure. And it was just, a, it was just an unconventional 
type of race. And there's not much I can take credit for uh, in, in that realm. Uh, it, the chips just fell the way that they did. It just ended up being two way race. Um, but I did make the most <laughs> I had to of the opportunities that were given to me. And I just hope that um, the, the Arkansas, the Libertarian Party of Arkansas can grow. There's some people, <laughs> it, it, it really is humbling. Whenever you see people uh, say, this is the first time I've ever voted Libertarian or I've, I've left the Republican Party or I've left the Democratic Party because of your campaign and joined the Libertarian Party. I mean, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just a nobody, man. I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody. That's all there is to it. And I'm just crazy about getting stuff done. And I just won't stop until it's done. That's it. That's great. No, and, and you're not a nobody. I mean, you've got, every time I talk to you, I get this feeling like this is, this is the kind of normal, soft-spoken straight speaker you know that we need more of in this party we have we have enough loud <clears throat> angry um people like me <laughs> in this party <laughs> we don't need any more of people like me we need we need people who can take their ideas get them across in a in a well-spoken in a moderation type voice um, that people will listen to and get past the first five seconds who don't lose their temper, you know, when they're talking <laughs> to somebody. Um, and, and frankly, you know, that's what I've always liked about you since that first day I met you. And uh, so I just want to tell you, I think that you're going to make a great candidate. I hope you keep running. I hope you teach other people how to run the way you did. Um, Kevin, what do you got? Man, I'm just I'm just really grateful for you coming on, Ricky. I, I want to echo what Todd said. You know, I think we need more people like you. I was so excited by your campaign and we followed it. It was one of the first campaigns that we talked about on this podcast. Um, you know, really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Well, I'm, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at uh, Ricky for Senate, R-I-C-K-Y-F-O-R, Senate. That's my handle there. My website is rickyharrington.com. Uh, getting it ready for the, the next race. And, and hopefully we will be announcing that uh, very soon. And uh, it's we want to win. We, do, we don't want to be a name on the ballot. We, uh, we don't want to just run for running sake. We want to run. And, and win this and, and try to have a, a libertarian administration uh, that's balanced and that's one for uh, uh, the people. That's awesome. <clears throat> and you're going to have to promise us to come back on after you make that announcement down the road here as we get closer and, and uh, start to understand what that race is going to look like because there's going to be people around the country, Ricky, now that you're a name that people know. You know, people love for too long, people have been donating to campaigns that are going to get two or 3% of the vote and they're getting sick of it. What they want is to get behind campaigns like the one you just described where we have a chance to win. Um, so come back on after you announce. We'll have a whole episode about it. We'll talk about the race. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing more. 
I'd love to be back. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate, um, you know, just your stance and, and how you deal with things from a strategic standpoint. I admire that. And uh, continue on in it because we, we need some people that are, that, are, that are into the political calculus of, um, of the game. And so keep on, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Ricky. Uh, thank you, Kevin. This has been a great episode. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and we're definitely having you back. But thanks again for coming. Thank you, sir. Take care, Kevin. Blessings to you. Yeah, you too, Ricky.